life is not difficult, you make it difficult. Uh, that's a quote from this week's podcast guest, uh, Tim Sai, who is a real estate investor and trainer and educator. And I had a fascinating conversation with Tim both about uh, life and, and what that throws at you and how that changes uh, your attitude and your approaches and your values, but also different strategies and approaches to real estate investing uh, that you know, you're not going to hear from a lot of people. And that's the interesting thing that, uh, that Tim suggests and shares in this episode uh, is a di very different approach to real estate investing uh, that doesn't mean you follow the traditional routes that a lot of people recommend. And I think you're going to find it interesting. So enjoy the episode. You're listening to the REI Branded Podcast, helping you build your real estate personal brand. If you want to stand out from the crowd, attract the right leads, right partners, and right clients every time, you're in the right place. My name is Paul Kopkut, and each week we'll be looking to decode and uncover what makes you, the real estate business owner, brandtastic. Each episode is intended to be valuable, cut to the chase, and actionable, so you can spend less time marketing your business and still get the results you want. Thank you for listening. Now let's get to work on making you brandtastic. Okay, and welcome to this week's episode of the REI Branded Podcast. And I am pleased to introduce my guest this week is Tim Sai. Uh, Tim is a full-time real estate investor and is co-founder of Trust Your Talent, a Canadian financial education platform. Um, he currently lives in Edmonton, although as we were chatting, I find out that he kind of lives, Edmonton is kind of a home base, but he's kind of here, there and everywhere. And you'll probably find out why. Um, Tim came to Canada from Taiwan at age 17, minus a day, uh, to learn English. And after 16 months in the Canadian high school system, he went to university for marketing with a dream of getting into an advertising agency. So we both have a similar dream from years ago. But uh, that didn't work out. But he found a mentor from a local program at the Vancouver Board of Trade called Leaders of Tomorrow, who encouraged him to embrace a career in sales instead. Uh, fast forward a few years, and Tim actually retired at the age of 30 and began to pursue another goal and passion of his, which is helping those who are committed to achieving financial freedom to do the same as he's done. Um, with the investment he made in his own financial education, Tim became financially free in two years, 25 months to be exact, from his first ever real estate training. And to this day, can Tim continues to be an active investor as he believes investing is a lead by example venture. So in the past few years, he's built cash flowing property portfolios in Canada, the US and the UK, and using a variety of strategies, including income properties, lease options, both residential and commercial, creative financing, flipping, wholesaling, infill development, and mobile home parks. Uh, his previous career experience included internet marketing, B2B sales for small and medium-sized businesses, mass marketing campaigns, sales management, direct marketing, and strategic business planning. And these collective experiences have equipped him with the skills and knowledge of how to create truly win-win scenarios for his business associates and investors. And he is on a personal mission of creating a thousand millionaires by 2040 through financial education. So why, why that, Tim? That's probably welcome. And you know, why that? That's a great place to start is yeah. why that personal mission? Okay. If, just, first of all, if you, um, if you ever want to get a job with the CIA or the or FBI, I think you'll do a really good job there. <laughs> you basically listed out everything that I've done in my life so far. Uh, why a thousand? So, I mean, other than financial education over the last, oh, I don't even know how long now, over probably 12 years now at this point, I've been actively seeking coaching and personal development programs. And financial education to me is also a part of personal development as well, because one of my favorite quotes is from Jim Rohn, is that formal education is going to make you a living. However, self-education is going to make you a fortune. And so I've always sort of been on that path where I just want to believe that there is no limit in terms of how one person can grow throughout their entire lifetime. And so 
the last few years, I think there was a lot of soul searching that I had to do because I think one thing that most people, especially if they haven't experienced it themselves yet, is that um, when you are financially free, you still want to have some sort of purpose or multiple purposes and goals and objectives in your lives so that it makes it keeps it meaningful. Because funny enough, at the age of 30, as you said, I did achieve financial freedom. And for a lot of people, really, the layman's term is that I got to retire myself. And at the age of 30, I kind of found myself a little depressed. I didn't know what to do with myself anymore because every single day after I declare financial freedom, I was watching TV, I was playing video games, I was going shopping, I was staying home. And I wanted to hang out with people. I wanted to spend time with people. However, I was spend I was hoping to spend time with the friends that I had already made leading up to that point. And during the day, as most of us guess, they still have their regular night five. So I had nobody to spend time with. And very, very quickly I learned that I really needed needed to figure something else out for myself. And at this point, I was very fortunate that um, I was uh, invited to start to train and coach others to do what I have done. And that sort of just continued to, to grow from there. However, over the last few years, I, I've been working with a personal coach, um, a career coach as well. And I still call it a career because being an investor to me is a career because you can continue to continue to grow and expand in your knowledge and experience. And one of my personal goals was I really just wanted to, if I could, honestly, I would run up the hill somewhere and yell it out as loudly as I possibly can and just let people know how attainable financial freedom really is. I think most people just they don't have a blueprint. They don't have a roadmap in terms of how things can be done because it really doesn't take a whole lot as long as you have the right strategies and the right systems and the right path to follow. And, um, and so it was always one at a time, one at a time. And then I realized, hang on a second, almost everything that we do as investors, as business owners, it always starts with an end goal in mind, kind of like having a business plan. And we've all heard that if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. <laughs> and so my coach really helped me kind of dig a little deeper. And that's what we came up with about two and a half years ago now, back in 2019, was the fact that I want to create millionaires. And I mean, millionaires is really just another word that I think a lot of people can aspire to and can relate to. What I really, truly want to create is millionaires through financial freedom, financial independence via real estate first and foremost, because that's my baby. That's where I came from. And that's what I'm still actively investing in, not to mention sort of the other ventures now that we've been able to go into. And as me and my partners have been able to go into now because of real estate investing, because of financial freedom. And so it's really just a personal aspiration and it's a personal goal. At this point, and we're at, what 2021 now, so I think the numbers are progressing pretty well. At the same time, I always say that every growth uh, trajectory is kind of like a hockey stick. It seems fitting. We're in Canada. That that first few years, you always feel like you're putting in so much work, and you're not really seeing the result. And all of a sudden, you get to that tipping point where it the growth becomes exponential, and so. Hoping the tipping point will start to happen soon and that we get to start to create bigger impact in more people's lives and achieve the thousand millionaires by 2040 goal. What a great goal. What a, what a purpose as well. So that was, <laughs> that was what you were finding. You found another purpose beyond because you had a corporate career and everything else and then you had real estate. But, but then at 30, and, and perhaps you can share with people what's happened to you from a a medical point of view that probably prompted some of this as well. Yeah. Well, um, <laughs> so I think a lot of people, when they see me or meet me these days, they don't really link me to a lot of health challenges. At this particular point in time, I battle with five different autoimmune disorders on a day-to-day basis. I have to jab myself with a needle on a monthly basis, used to be bi-weekly. So things are looking up because of what financial freedom has done for me. 
And that's actually one of my highest values is to really take care of my health. And when I say health, it's not just physical, it's also mental and emotional and spiritual, all that. And this is also why with uh, my core values, which incidentally are also Trusted Talent Academy's core values are health. And um, they're also, uh, sorry. So my core values include health, sustainability, and joy and fulfillment and impact. And I think that's really what I stand for as a stand for as a person these days, and uh, what I really want to once again run up the hill and shout it to the world. And health and sustain sustainability kind of go hand in hand because at the age of twenty, I had a heart surgery because I've also had a total of three different heart attacks. They're all minor. And uh, <laughs> so I'm, I'm, not still sure a, I'm not sure there's anything called a minor heart attack. <laughs> <laughs> well, I call them minor because I'm still here and I'm very, very grateful every day. And I'm not going to lie. I mean, there has been point in, point in time in my life, especially after the first couple of heart attacks, because I was 19, uh, 18 and 19, respectively, and, and heart surgery uh, by the time I was 20. Had another one by the time I was 29. And looking back now, I mean, there were times where I was always asking, why me? Why is this happening to me? And these days, I'm really thinking that everything happens for a reason. And I realized my heart attacks also happen for me. And I'm still here for a reason. And so what that has done really is fundamentally changed me as, as a person. And that's also what contributed to the five core values that I have really come to live for the last few years now. And it's been amazing. However, you know, the transition point, as we like to say, it, it wasn't always that easy because when you have a, when you have heart attacks at a very young age, I mean, all my friends, they were, you know, we're in our late teens, early twenties, we're going into university. That's the exciting time to be discovering who you are, to really get into the best shape possible and to experience university life, your party and all that, all, all those things I didn't really get to experience. And I always kind of felt like I was lagging behind. And there was a lot of um, Asian upbringing and Asian traditional cultural values. I'll just say, I'll just put it that way, that it was still really ultimately about just go to school, get a good job, get a job that's going to give you benefits and give you a safe retirement, give you a decent paycheck so you can, you know, live a normal life. And then my heart attack, what they have taught me really is that normal is boring and i just started wanting to find answers because really at that point i remember the day i went for my heart surgery right before i got wheeled into the surgery room and before they put me out <laughs> for it i just remember telling myself this this little little voice inside of me that all of a sudden just popped up and said when I make it out of this surgery, I'm going to do something different with my life. I don't know what that is yet. I just knew that something had to change because who knows? Who knows what's going to happen to me again? Who knows if it's ever going to happen? And who knows if this guarantees a long life, a healthy life after the surgery? So I just knew that a change was in order and really didn't know what it was. However, after that, finished school, like a lot of people. And it just, it's really funny and scary almost looking back how deep rooted some of these upbringing, some of these values and other people's expectations are planted inside of all of us. Because even though I told myself something's got to change after my surgery, all of a sudden I was still back on the old path, which is finish my school, get a good job. And truth be told, I got a great job, I think. Um, by, by, at the age of 24, that was basically my first year of working because when I went to school, I had two majors and a minor and I had a heart surgery, heart, uh, heart surgery and I did co-op and I took a couple of semesters off. So it did take me almost six years to finish school. Actually, yeah, pretty much six years to finish school. And so first year out of school at 24, I got into a corporate gig and uh, I was making a very healthy six-figure income already. I mean, I worked really hard at the same time. It came at a price. 
And as a result, I, could, I was able to continue to climb the corporate ladder for the next few years. Within, within three years, I, became, I, 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 became a, uh, I got into senior management. So I started to manage different teams across the country. I mean, we live in a great country right now in Canada, as we all know. You and I are both immigrants. However, what that also means is we're dealing with time zones a lot. I lived in Edmonton at the time and, and still live in Edmonton now. However, I had teams that I was managing anywhere between Pacific time all the way to Eastern time. And what that means back in the days is that I was sleeping with my Blackberries. Remember those days? <laughs> Blackberries yep. under my pillow. And my phone would start going off at six in the morning and ring all the way till midnight. Just because of the number of people that I was working with had to manage and support and the different time zones. And uh, that prompted me to have my third and I hopefully, hopefully last heart attack at this point. Because with, with that job, I was also having to travel quite a bit. And when you're climbing that corporate ladder, you're always you know, going, the, going the extra miles, as they would say. And I mean, I've... I think we, most of us, working hard is always a great value that we have. However, in that environment, what that translated into is that if I had a meeting in Toronto or if I had to be in Toronto for the following week, I would actually fly out on the Sunday, sacrificing my personal time and so that I could be there first thing Monday morning. And I would oftentimes not fly home until Saturday because I wanted to finish everything on Friday. So what that means is I really have no time to myself and basically neglected my health once again. And this is why health is my top, top, top core values these days. I've spent the last decade now feeling better, looking better, treating myself better and uh, acquiring different tools to feel good and look good so that I can legitimately stand in front of people and say, this is why I'm passionate about financial independence and financial freedom. Because it's not so much about the real estate side of things. Real estate is a tool. Money is a tool. It's about what it can allow you to do to build a life that you deserve and that for some of us, we need. I need this lifestyle. I need the proper tool so that I can take care of my health so that I don't become a burden on the system, on society. I don't become a burden to my friends and family. And I have the freedom to travel around the world and spend time with the people that I love and care. So that's what it's, what it's done for me. How, why, why real estate? How did you get involved in real estate? Was that at the same time as you were in corporate? Or? Yeah, so it, it actually was because I think I've always been interested in real estate. I think like a lot of people, I enjoy looking at those pre-sale constructions because they're so pretty. And I love looking at floor plans and finishings. And so I just thought like a lot of people, real estate is where it is. And then I started to learn that 95% of the world's millionaires or billionaires for that matter now, they either start in real estate or they park their money in real estate. So I just always kind of thought and felt that there was something there. And so when I was climbing the corporate ladder, I actually had a coworker. And one of the perks about climbing the corporate ladders really quickly is the fact that I had coworkers that were older than me or had way more life experiences than me. And so I was able to get connected uh, and referred to a developer through one of my coworkers who incidentally is my mother's age. And she's done really, really well for herself. And I just thought, wait, hang on a second. You and I, we're in the same role and we probably make the same amount of income. How come your lifestyle is drastically different from mine? Again, forgetting the fact that she's decades ahead of me in terms of life experience. <laughs> and so she said, oh, well, we also invest our money in real estate because at this time, this is 2009, I was buying company stocks that was di diminishing in value. My TFSA was not growing. My RSP was also diminishing in value. And my savings account was not growing at the rate that I thought it should be and would be. And so basically, she referred me to this guy that she's been working with for apparently years. And it just so happened that when I showed up to that meeting with a developer, I basically, looking back, I didn't know what I didn't know. 
I was already sold because of the trust that I had for my coworker and the referral that she made. And so I went in there pretty blind and I already brought my checkbook with me, 2009. I'm still using a checkbook. <laughs> and so <laughs> at the end of his presentation, I basically just wrote over a check that was my entire life saving leading up to that point. I handed it over and um, thinking that, great, you know what? In a few months' time, I was going to get a deed certificate because I was participating in a syndication in this case. Again, didn't understand what syndication meant at the time. I just knew I was going to be a real estate investor passively through other people's project. And the return was going to be beating everything that I had going on at the time. RSPs, stock options with the company, and my savings account in TFSA. And so I was happy. I was so excited. And then beginning of 2010 came around. So I finally got my mail from a law firm thinking that was my deed certificate saying that, oh, your money is now secured against the project and you're a rifle owner or part owner of this project. And turns out it was actually a, what do they call them again now? Uh, like a summon, a summon letter from the law firm because they took everybody's money and ran. And so the other investors have started a class act lawsuit against the developer. And, and at that point, I just, I, I was speechless. And so I went to that initial info session with the law, at the law firm. And before I even got to the boardroom, I remember, I mean, I don't know why, like, why, 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 are, why are these law firms always in fancy towers downtown somewhere? Um, I remember getting into that elevator, just like I had butterflies because I didn't really didn't know at the time what was going to happen and what was about to happen. What was I going to hear and learn about? And so I was in the elevator. However, as the elevator was going up and up and up, I started hearing rumblings and sounds and people yelling and fighting and screaming. And I kept thinking and hoping that, oh my God, oh my God, I'm like, I don't know what's going on. I need to go back down. I need to go back down. I'm like pressing the button. Obviously, it, would, it wasn't going anywhere, but the floor that I already chose. And um, the door opened. And to my horror, it was actually the floor that I had to be on. And so I started to walk towards the boardroom uh, following the signage. And then when I walked in there, I realized that I was either one of the youngest people in that room or the youngest person in that room. Everybody else was in their 50s, 60s, 70s. And there were people yelling and crying and saying things like, that was my entire life's work. That was my retirement. How am I going to pay rent? How am I going to put food on the table? And that, I think, chilled me to my very core. And I walked away from that meeting. I remember feeling very numb about it, but it hit me. It hit me really hard for quite a few days after. And then I heard this radio ad one day, I think two weeks after that meeting. And it says, hey, come and learn how to invest in real estate the right way. And that's actually why I'm also so passionate about paying it forward in a way is that, like I said earlier, looking back, I didn't know what I didn't know. I invested based on somebody's flashy marketing materials that they've created. I didn't know how to analyze the numbers. I didn't know how to find cushions. I didn't know how to buffer anything that in the, in the event that things went south. I didn't know how to protect myself, most importantly. And so I realized, you know what? At the age of, this was when I was 28. At 28, I could probably still work really hard because in my corporate job, I was able to put in 70, 80 hours a week, which contributed to the heart attack <laughs> later on again. However, I just at the time, I thought, I still have time. I'm still young. I can work and still reaccumulate my wealth and I'm still doing well. But I just don't want this to happen to me ever in the event that. I want to leverage real estate as my main vehicle again as invest as an as an investment because at that point I was already fairly disenchanted with the idea of RSPs and TFSAs and putting money in savings account and obviously reading financial education books helped quite a bit in terms of 
really staying away from all those traditional vehicles that really aren't serving people much these days. Did you ever get anything back from that original investment? I wanted to quickly stop the show to ask you a question. If you're running a real estate business, are you using LinkedIn? And if you are, is your profile really representing your personal brand in the best way? You can use LinkedIn in much faster and more cost-effective ways than other social media platforms to build your business. And I've put together a free 30-page guide on how real estate owners can make their profiles stand out and attract investors and partners. To get your free copy, go to reibranded.com forward slash LinkedIn. That's reibranded.com forward slash LinkedIn. And now back to the show. So that was actually my choice, to be, to be very frank, because I walked away from it thinking, and just to give you some context also, I put in just shy of $50,000 in 2009. And that was also a wake-up call for me because, like I said, at that point, I had been making six figures for three and a half years. And to, to, to look at my entire life savings leading up to that point, for 50K, that was also a wake-up call because I'm realizing, oh my God, I am trapping myself in the rat race. I make good money and I spend good money and I wasn't hanging on to a lot. Right. So that was also another, another wake-up call. However, I did decide not to pursue it because for some funny reason in my mind, I just thought that the, the elderly, the people that, were, that really needed that more are they're more entitled to it. I don't know why. I mean, some people call me stupid at that time. However, I just felt like in my, in my heart, that was the right thing to do just to, if there's anything left, they need to get it first and they need to get as much as they possibly can. Cause again, these are people in their, in, in their sixties and seventies. Like, I don't know. And this is why every, I, I cannot walk into a Walmart these days, honestly, because when I see those guys that are Walmart greeters, it, it, I, for some reason, it transports me back into, the, into that night in that boardroom, and it breaks my heart. So anyways, getting a little emotional about that. And you, you mentioned uh, about, I guess, being a fooled or attracted by flashy marketing pieces. What are the downsides and what are the upsides of, uh, that you've learned from marketing, yeah. from your own marketing background? Because that's what you've got in terms of a... Yeah. <laughs> so it's really funny, hey, because I, I did go to school for marketing. And as you, as you uh, mentioned earlier, that my dream job was to work at advertising agencies. And I did manage to get a co-op term um, at a very prominent advertising agency for a few months there. And I got to work on campaigns uh, on McDonald's, on Teles on BC Lottery and BC Tourism, because I, I went to school in Vancouver. And though it was one of the most fun and creative times of my life, looking back. And um, I love marketing, and I love the ability to educate people. And I think that's sort of where the dots connected for me once I became a real estate investor. Because when I first started investing after I got educated, and this was way back in 2010 now, as most people know, is Lending rules were a little, a little easier back then. So with my qualification from a, from a job and my partners, we were, uh, we were able to run fairly quickly in terms of building our portfolio. So what that means is within the first uh, six months, we were able to acquire five different properties right off the bat before we started running dry. And then very quickly also, we learned that, hang on a second, we're tapped out. What's next? Well, now we got to do marketing based on the classes that we've taken. That's what they keep telling you. You got to let yourself known in the community. However, I just realized that, oh, okay. I came from a marketing background. I wanted to look professional. At the same, same time, I wanted to be educational. And so I think my marketing for the last decade plus now has always been focusing more on education rather than what is it? It's always, what is it? How does it work? But more importantly, what can it do for you? 
And so that also translates into the formula that I think I've sort of created for myself as an investor and as, as a trainer and mentor these days. And a lot of people that have, may have heard of Trust Your Talent, they will, they will know that I always talk about the why. What's, what's your why? What's that picture? What does that picture look like? And a lot of people call it a vision board. And then so let that vision board translate, in, translate into a goal or a few goals. However, for the lack of better words, based on what we're discussing here, is financial goals. Because again, money is a tool, money is a currency, create it so that we can exchange it for goods and services to accomplish certain things in life. So people always have, you know, my why is that I want to travel the world. Great. Where do you want to go to? Let's get some clarity on that. How do you want to travel? Because again, you can subscribe to a hundred different discount travel sites, or you can have this, the option to go. I want to go whenever, however, with whoever. So let's create that, those goals. Let's dumb it down, if you will, to numbers, to a financial goal. And let your financial, financial goal dictate the strategies that you need to leverage. Because again, so many people, in my opinion, in real estate are not investors. And that's just my opinion. I've never, I've never backed down from that opinion and that perspective which is the fact that most people are real estate buyers. They call themselves investors because they have more than one properties that they live in. However, in my opinion, a lot of people, they only know buy, rent, and pray. That's what I call it. But there's so many different strategies, as you and I both know now, Paul, in real estate. It's a very flexible, very lively vehicle that we can leverage, but you got to start with having the right strategies. And so let your goals dictate the strategies that will contribute to building that goal and the timeline that you want to see. And then let your strategies dictate the markets that you go into. And once you've chosen your markets, then we look at properties. Because so many people, they do it backwards. They just look at it. I was going to say, everybody starts with the property and then says, am I going to flip it or blur it or or whatever? Exactly. And I am 100% against that mindset and that approach. Because this is why some people, even after they start getting into real estate, yeah, if they, they have a decent job and maybe they start late, later in life, they've got a very cush, cushy uh, qualification, let's put it that way, and some uh, resources to deploy. Yeah, they can probably acquire two, three, four, depending on the markets that they're in, maybe even up to 10 properties. And then what? Because let's just say, look at the Canadian real estate markets. If they just do buy, rent, and pray... Let's say even if we go into a market where we can buy a single family home for $500,000, 20% down is $100,000 right there. Based on today's interest rate, which we don't always do that because as, a, as an educated investor, we always take a buffer in terms of rates. However, let's just say what the, how the amateurs would do it is based on today's rates, $400,000 in mortgage basically means that they're probably paying about $1,200 to $1,300 max these days. And then they only count pity payments. And then when they get a renters in there, let's just say that they're in a market where the rent on that property is probably only, let's say, I'm going to be very generous, $2,000. Okay. So let's say pity payment in this case depends on the market. You got $1,300 in PI payment. Taxes, let's say $300 a month. So $1,600. Insurance, let's say $150 right there. So you're at $1,750. So $2,000 a month. Now you got to deduct it. Your pity payment, your cash flow in 250. Sounds really great on a single family property. However, how many people can actually qualify for multiple, multiple properties at $500,000 a pop? And let's just say that even if you get 10 of them, and when you're able to get 10 on your own, what that also means is that you got a very, very good job. You're probably making $100,000, $300,000, and you got a family to feed. 10 properties each cash flowing at 250. At 10, you're looking at 2,500. They're nowhere close to achieving the financial independence nor the freedom that they need to exhale, to relax. Hmm. Yes, they're building that nesting egg at the end of the day, hopefully. Hopefully nothing major happens to the economy, to their renters, to their properties. And this is why we say they do buy, rent, and pray. Because typically speaking, they basically rent it out, 
They pray that they always get tenant get good tenants that will take care of the property, that will always pay on time. There's no issues, and there's very little to no turnovers. And we all know that's not how life works. <laughs> right. right. And I think this is why, after a lot of、uh, trial and errors, myself also, and having been able to, you know, having the the opportunities to to train others, this is really the formula that I've come up with to. As my guiding light, and as a guiding light for others as well, and so it all goes back to how do I do my marketing? Is really understanding people's why, what drives them, what drives them, and let's get some clarity on that. No different than Thousand Millionaires by 2040. There's a deadline. There's a clear goal, and there is a term that everybody can relate to. And so. What does living your best life mean? Because for a lot of people, even if they want to become passive passive investors, I still ask them that question: Is it to increase your lifestyle? I've had people,、uh, couples that make great income, both six figures. However, they're in the rat race because they make a lot, they spend a lot, they live in expensive houses, they drive expensive cars, they want to take vacations, and they eat really well, and they have children that go to private schools, for example. So, what is your why? Because their nesting egg is getting built already, so their why a lot of the times is we want to have more quality quality time with our kids. And what does quality time mean? Is it spending time at home, or is it going on really exotic vacations, for example? And so when we can understand that, then we can map out clearly what the next steps is. Right. So. That's always been how I've approached my investors, my own portfolio, and how I actually train others. Like there isn't really a different formula. Funny enough, right? So is that why you're in different markets? I mean, what what attracted you to the UK, for example? <laughs> I have a vested interest in hearing more about the UK. But well, as an investor, it's all about the numbers. And so one of my one of my favorite questions for a lot of people, especially when it comes to real estate, is. Do you currently invest in anything? Anything else? Meaning, are you are? Do you invest in mutual funds? Are you buying stocks? And most people, most people having some sort of life experiences and career experiences will typically say yes. They have some money in mutual funds, in RSPs, or in company stock options or other stocks. And I always ask them. Let's just say that if they have stock,、uh, they own stocks in Microsoft or Google or Facebook. Or Zoom or whatever these days, I will ask them. Okay, when you decided to buy, let's say Google stocks, did you read their financial statement first of all? Second of all, did you actually pick up the the phone and call their CFO and go? By the way, I'm thinking about buying two shares of your company stock, and I would like to request for a half an hour meeting with you to make sure that I'm I'm you know really comfortable buying your stocks. Nobody does that, but I'm gonna say, at some point, you these people still decided to buy Google stocks because they're looking at performance. And so this is why I keep saying real estate is just a vehicle. Real estate really is just a vehicle, just like Google as a company created that vehicle for other potential investors to park money with them. And so when that happens, when that mindset gets opened up. Then you realize, well, everything we do as, as an investor is about the performance because it's all about the return on investment.、Right. And so, when I looked at the market, that is the UK, I realized the UK actually offers some really, really strong numbers. And、uh, again, it is real estate. I mean, in Canada, we have what, as of today, thirty-three, thirty-five million. In population, and the country is huge, and yet infra- infrastructure costs a lot. This is why there's a lot of fundamental payments. I usually call them that fundamental payments that we have, and that's why cash flow it tends to be not as strong unless we find a really really good deal or very distressed situation to get into, so that we have the opportunity to do force appreciation and hopefully market appreciation naturally. So when I looked at a market like UK. The island itself is what smaller than Vancouver Island, or maybe just slightly bigger. I don't know. I can't remember now. 
However, 65 million population, for the same reason why we're in the U.S. as well, is supply and demand. And so when we look at the numbers over there, it's, for the most part, comparable, if not better. However, I will say, though, the sidebar on all of this is that I've been hunting for second homes, third homes around the world for quite a few years now. And one of the places that my partner and I want to sort of have a have our uh, winter home or vacation home in is somewhere in Europe, maybe Spain, maybe Portugal, I don't know. And so we just decided that we're going to leverage UK as a jumping board. Because I mean, we did look into other countries in Europe and other countries in Asia as well. However, as an investor, once again, ultimately speaking, what we're doing is learn how to make money work for money. And so what that also means is that our access to our money needs to be there because a lot of the times what we do also is accessing and leveraging other people's money. And what that means is when people park their money with us in our projects, and they, when they need it to go back to them, I need to be able to have that fun liquid and be able to pull it out. And so a lot of the countries that we actually did our due diligence in, most of them will take your money. We are able to get, get into those countries. I will name all of them now. However, you're not able to take the money out or there are restrictions and timelines in terms of when you can take it out and how much you can take out in what period of time. And to me, that is also not a smart move as an investor, because you want to have control over your funds as much as you possibly can, how much you earn from it, as well as how much you can leverage it at all times. And that's actually what attracted us into the UK market is there's some personal reasons. However, the numbers, the performance is amazing. So right now we're in the Midlands, we're in Wales, we're in Scotland. A lot of people, again, when they think UK, they always ask London. So for my Canadian listeners right now, or investors per se, um, it's like asking people, oh, do you invest in Toronto and do you invest in Vancouver? Well, my first answer is yes and no. No, because if your goal is to create passive income, these are probably not the right markets for you. However, if your goal is to be able to capitalize on some long-term gains, knowing that you already have the safety net, that is a solid passive income, and you want to gamble a little bit and speculate the market a little bit by parking it in, a, in markets that tend to have that natural growth, sure. So I always talk about what we call the circle of wealth or the wheel of wealth, which have which includes the three buckets of income, and that is earn, passive, and portfolio. I think most people, even when they have a regular job, they have earned income, that is your, your paychecks. And most of them will also have some sort of portfolio income that will be your savings and mutual funds and TFSAs of sorts for Canadians. But most people don't have the passive income. And to me, passive income, not only does it provide the financial freedom that people talk about a lot and want to go after, to me, it's the safety net. Because I still take gambles. I'm going to be completely honest. Because to me, a flip is a gamble. Because you're speculating that by the time you're done your flip and you're listing it, the market is continuing to go up. We all, we've all heard stories about people timing the market wrong because they're speculating. And so again, this is, this is why going back to tie it all back in here is that even in the UK, we are in multiple markets as well, and it's all performance driven. And before performance, meaning we, before we determine on strategies, we always have a solid financial goal in terms of what we want to accomplish in every market, because it ain't cheap going to different markets. You got to spend the money to set up the right corporate and tax structure because it's also not about how much you make, it's more importantly about how much you get to keep what you've made. Right. And is that the advice that you would give some, you know, a newer investor uh, or somebody considering real estate as a, as a career option? Um, this? I would say absolutely. Um, I mean, I'm still a, an active investor myself meaning I'm still investing in cash flow projects. I'm also speculating markets, meaning I do lending, I do park market markets in, um, in uh, markets that traditionally have natural growth, as we spoke about. 
And uh, I'm still wholesaling from time to time. Like I said, flipping from time to time, flipping to me is earned income. So at any given point, because every single year, I still do a business plan in terms of how I want my portfolio to grow. And so my goal has always to be to be making sure that all three income buckets are filled so that you're not caught with your pants down, so to speak, when the market turns on you. And I think for some people, if they're in Alberta, they also know because I've been in Alberta for almost 12 years now, and that's my home market, or at least that's the market that I started in. And things were going really well until 2015 because the oil crashed. And it's a very boom and bust economy. And we basically took a very, very giant hit. However, at that point, we had already diversified in strategies and in markets. So when one market crumbled, we were able as a business to continue to sustain ourselves and make it through the downturn. And so this is why would I actually recommend this as a career as a full-time, part-time, however you want to call it, uh, kind of gig? Absolutely. Because once you know the strategies, it's not just about working hard, it's about working smarter. And the strategies, basically strategies are better tools, effectively speaking. The strategies would allow us to have better ways to create multiple streams of income from real estate and not just buy, rent, and pray, and hoping that passive income never ends. So you kind of accounted to a lot of people a lot of people say pick one strategy and stick with it mm-hmm. but what you're what you're saying is approaching it from the different point of view is goal mm-hmm. first what do you, what's your why what what are your goals and then mm-hmm. it could be a variety of strategies that help you get absolutely to yes so with with the investors that i work with myself for our own portfolio and with the students um, that we train I always say at the very minimum, two by two. So once we've determined your financial goals, two strategies in two different markets so that you are not live or die by one market and one strategy. So that will usually be the minimum, minimum requirement and guidance that we provide. That's great advice. Okay. So I have a few favorite questions just to kind of yeah. uh, kind of wrap up. Um, favorite brand or personal brand and why? Uh, favorite personal brand these days? Um, I would have to say Apple. <laughs> okay. Just because I'm an iPhone user, I'm a MacBook Pro user, I'm I'm not very tech savvy. They've made it very user friendly, and I just love the feel good mar- uh, marketing that they have, and how they're able to make things very simple. And okay. and that's I think yeah. we've all heard the Kiss principle. Yep. So, yes. Keep it simple, stupid. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> uh, recommended business book or podcast. Uh, one of my favorite, all-time favorite podcasts is uh, one that's called How I Built This by NPR with Guy Raz. Right. Yes, I've heard that. That's a very yeah. good one. Okay. Uh, favorite resource that you're currently enjoying using? Oh, uh, Audible. Audible is definitely my favorite, favorite resource right now because um, I, in case you couldn't tell, uh, English is not my first language. I didn't. I, I think you you did mention that I came to Canada at the age of right. seventeen because I wanted to learn how to speak English, and I came to Canada at the time with very little to no vocabulary. I could say things like "Hello, how are you? My name is Tim. How about you? <laughs> What's for dinner? Where's the bathroom?" And so, reading is really not a strong suit. I'm a very slow reader when it comes when it comes to English books. However, when it comes to auto audio books. I, I, it's, hmm. I, it, there's sense. no end. So I love it. Right. Any, any good uh, recent books that you'd, uh, that you've listened to that you I actually just started primary greatness today oh. by Stephen Covey. And, uh, the other one that I reached, I just finished is by Robin Sharma, uh, Sharma. I believe it's called the 
uh, the saint, the surfer, and the CEO. And the other one that I would also recommend is Tax-Free Wealth by Tom Wright, I believe. Okay. All right. I'm going to check those out. Okay. Good ones. Um, and favorite quote. I mean, actually, I found a couple of quotes that you have, which I'm <laughs> going to share, which is, life is not difficult. You make it difficult. And then another one of yours was, time is everything. We're all given 24 hours a day. What you do in those 24 hours paves the way for the life you live, which I, I love. But do you have a favorite quote? that? Uh... Yeah, my all-time favorite has always been, be the change you want to see in the world by Gandhi. Mm-hmm. And so I think, especially being an investor, I do want to you know, do as much as I possibly can to help people open up their mindset, to shift their perspectives, especially leveraging real estate as a vehicle. So as little people uh, get hurt as possible, or as many people understand how to protect themselves when they're leveraging real estate as a vehicle to, to generate uh, income streams and long-term wealth. So be the change you want to see in the world. Wonderful. So how can people get, uh, get hold of you? How can they find out more about Trust Your Talent? Uh, if I'm interested <laughs> in that. Well, thank you. Uh, so Trust Your Talent, very, very straightforward. It's www.trustyourtalent.ca. And people can actually find me on Facebook, on Instagram. So on Instagram, I am the only Tim Tsai. And on <laughs> Facebook, I am the Tim Tsai. To keep it simple, right. and uh, people can always reach out to me via the Trust Your Talent website as well. Okay, wonderful. We appreciate your time today, Tim, and uh, we Thank wish you, you continued success and continued good health. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. You too. Thank you. Well, what did you think? Was that fantastic? Did it give you some ideas and actions that you can take right now to build your business and real estate personal brand? So what's stopping you? Get to it. And if you're wondering where your real estate personal brand currently stands and some steps to make it more brandtastic, you can download our free real estate personal brand checklist at reibranded.com forward slash checklist. That's reibranded.com forward slash checklist. Thank you for listening and have yourself a brandtastic day.